But like I said a little bit earlier, this morning I want to minister to you on, on the culture of Living Hope Family Church. We're going to get back into it. And if you remember, I did a very similar, going to be a very similar message that I did when we first started our church a year ago. The first seven messages I did were on the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And I think that this is a good thing that, that we will revisit this, you know, at, le- at least once a year to look about and be reminded of who we are as a church, what is our vision, what is our culture, and who, who are we as a church? What do we represent? What do we want to do? And culture is the behaviors and beliefs characteristics of a particular social, ethnic, or age group. You know, this is who we are as a church. This is our beliefs. This is what our goals, what our visions are, and and. I think it's real important that we keep that in the forefront, that we don't forget who we are, but we always keep our, our focus, you know, like a laser locked on. So as you've seen, if you've seen before on our website, or if you've been to the other church, you'll see it up on the wall. Our, our primary tenets are evangelize, equip, and empower. And if you, if you uh, look at Praise Chapel, which is the fellowship of churches that we are associated with, that we co-labor with in, in building churches and reaching this country, they word it a different way. There's this win, build, send. But it's essentially the same thing. Evangelize or to win, that means that we are going to go out and, and reach people. That's our number one goal is to reach people. And the next one, which is equip or build, that means that we're going to build people up. We're going to teach them. We're going to give them the same opportunity to go out and win people as well. We're going to equip them with the ability to minister the gospel, the ability to touch people's lives. And then finally, the empower, the send part is once we've built you up, once we've taught you, once we've equipped you, which is what you guys have been doing this entire year. You've been being equipped and built up and, and having that foundation built so that way we can send you out to do the same things as we're doing these different outreaches, as we're, as we're looking forward, we're, we're making an impact. We're sending you to minister to the lost of this city. And that's our our. Our, our vision statement, our mission statement in a, in a nutshell. And over the next few months, we're going to begin to look at again, and we're going to break that up. And the first thing that I want to look at today is that we are a people that are saved by grace. We're not a people who earned our place with God. We're not a people who are doing the, have this list of rules that we have to do, and if you don't do these, oh, you can't be a part of our church. Oh, you messed up, you slipped up here, you can't be a part of our church. Because... We know that it's not, who, it's not what we've done that makes us right with God, but it's who we are. We are people that are saved by grace, and grace is something that you are given even though you didn't deserve it. Mercy is, is not being given something you did deserve, and grace is being given something you didn't. You know, God saved us. He sent His Son as a free gift. It is nothing that we've done. And that is fundamental to who we are as a church. You know, there's many religions out there that if you want to be a part of this, you have to do all the right things. You have to, to do, you know, say the right things and do the right things and wear the right clothes. But as Christians, we understand that it's not what we do that makes us right with God, but who we are, that we've been made brand new, that we are saved by grace. And the first part of understanding that is we have to understand that, that we are loved. We're a people that are loved by God. Matter of fact, God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. We have to understand that God's just not waiting for an opportunity to punish us, but he sent his son to make us right. He wasn't waiting for an opportunity to punish us, but he was looking for an opportunity to make us whole again. And the thing is, we, God didn't owe us this. You know, the truth is that God created us 
And He made us perfect when He created us. Adam was perfect. He didn't have a past. He didn't have sin in his life. He was perfect. And he messed up. And it would have been just as easy for God to just you know, snuff the human race out of existence. I gave it my best go. They didn't work out. And just be done with us. But the truth is that He loves us. And He sent His Son. And He didn't owe us. He didn't have to. But because of the great love that He had for us, He sent His Son to restore us to that same position that Adam held while he was in the garden. The same position that Adam and Eve held. The next thing we understand is when we're saved by grace is that we are, are brand new, that we're made brand new. Salvation is a miracle. You know, it's not just a philosophy. It's not just a good thing that we do, but it's a, a miracle takes place inside of us. And it's not just the forget, forgetting of our sin, but it's a complete transfer of God's Spirit inside of us. And that old person that we were is being taken out. We were born again. And then finally we have to understand that this is something that can't be earned. Salvation by grace cannot be earned. There's nothing that you can do that can add to what God has already done. There's nothing that you have to do to make God extend this gift to you. He already has because of His love for us, not because of anything that we've done. And I thank God for that because I look back at my life and, and if I was God, I wouldn't extend it to me. But I thank God that God doesn't think like I do, that His ways are not my ways, but He loved me so much that He wanted to restore me to a position where I could be in fellowship with Him, that I could be in a relationship with Him. So the first thing we have to look at is that we are valuable. In Luke 12, 6-7, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than sparrows. You know, what's trying to be said here, what Luke is saying is that, or what Jesus was saying is that, that uh, you are valuable. You are infinitely valuable to God. And he explains this by saying, just take a look at the world around you. You see these, these sparrows. They're not worth anything. I mean, when they're sold in the marketplace, they're sold for two cents. I mean, what can you buy for two cents today? Something that was two cents, really, that's worth nothing. I mean, most of us don't even bother. We see a penny on the ground. It's not even worth picking up. But he says that even though these sparrows are worth that little, they're still taken care of by God. They still eat. They still are clothed. They're still taken care of by God. And he says then, if even these little things are worth so much to God, how much more valuable are you? He says that, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You know, if you want to know if something is valuable to somebody, just start to talk to them about it. If they care about something, they're going to know stuff about it. I mean, you care about your kids, you can tell me everything about your kids because you love them. You know what, what at least moms, I mean, I don't know, I have no idea what size clothes my kids wear. I'm, but moms, I mean, they, the kids are valuable. And they know everything about them. In the same way as with God, it says every hair on your head is numbered. Every hair is numbered. He knows everything about you. He knows that's how valuable you are to God because something that mundane, something that unimportant as the amount of hair on your head is important to God. He knows that much about you. He cares about you that much. You know, and you can, you can know what a person cares about too by, by looking at his wallet. You know, they say the last thing on a man to get saved is his wallet. But if you want to know what, some, what somebody cares about, you just take a look at their checkbook. You know, if, 
if all their money is being spent in, in bars, you can say that that kind of life is kind of important to them. But if you look in their checkbook, and you see that all their money is spent on their kids, well, you know their kids are important to them. I know my wife, all of her spare money is almost always spent on the kids. She's always buying something because they're extremely important to her. And you can tell that by looking at, at her checkbook, you know, the register in her checkbook. Well, if you were to take a look at God's register, His checkbook register, you would see what He spent for us, the value. He sent His Son, His only Son, to die for us. Something that is infinitely valued, that has no, no limit to its value. And you look at his, his checkbook, and that's what He spent on us. That's the value that we have to Him. And the truth is that our value has nothing to do with how we look or what we've done. You remember I've told you the story before of the professor who was doing a little thought experiment and he pulls out a $20 bill and it's a fresh, brand new $20 bill and he holds it up in front of the college class and he says, who wants this $20 bill? And the whole class raises their hand. So he takes it and he takes that $20 bill and he crumples it up in a little ball and now it's all, it was fresh and crisp, but now it's all wrinkled and crumpled up in a ball and he goes, now who wants this $20 bill? And still the, the whole class raises their hand. I was, huh. So he takes it and he throws it on the ground and he pours dirt on it. And he stamps his feet into it and he, he's smushing this dirt around, this, this dollar bill. He's stepping on it. It's getting in the dirt and he pulls it up and it's, it's ripped and it's dirty. And he asks, now who still wants this $20 bill? And unsurprisingly, the whole class raises their hand. Because how many of you know that the value of a $20 bill has nothing to do with what it looks like if it's torn? It's because it's a $20 bill. And I want you to know that your value to God is in much the same way, no matter what you've been through, no matter if somebody's stepped on you and smushed you in the mud, no matter if you've done that to yourself. Your value to God has not changed. He still wants you. If somebody says to God, well, now look at him. Who still wants him? God's going to raise his hand. I still want him. I still love him because his value hasn't changed. Here's that illustration I was thinking about when uh, the first time I remember mumbling, stumbling my words in an illustration when I was talking about that Nike commercial. You guys remember that Nike commercial? And it shows, the, shows this wrestler with cauliflower ear. You guys ever seen cauliflower ear? It's kind of gross looking, but it's, it's something that happens. These wrestlers, they go out and, and then it shows this surfer with a shark bite. And then he shows the, this bull rider. He's got one blind eye. Showing people with scars on their legs, scars on their knees, missing teeth. The hockey player with missing teeth. And it's showing all these people that we would look at them and go, ooh, they kind of look, they look weird. They look disfigured. But the, the music that's playing in the background is that, you are so beautiful to me. Because even though these people on the outside look like they might have something wrong, they're disfigured, they might have a problem, they're still beautiful. And it's such a perfect illustration that God looks at us. And it doesn't matter how marred we are, what happened in our past that, that gave us that scar. It doesn't matter the things that we've done. Remember there was a, a George Strait song that one of the lines were, as if they know half the things I've done, they'd never let me in. And the truth is that it doesn't matter what you've done, it's what He's done inside of you. And to God, you're still beautiful. 
And in Zephaniah 3.17 it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I mean, anybody know here that God rejoices over you with shouts of joy? God is, is rejoicing loudly. You know, many people in church, they come to church and they, they're like, Shh, it's church, be quiet. You know, when we do worship, we get a little bit loud. We clap, we sing loud. I start hammering on the guitar a little bit louder than I should. People like, shh, it's church. You know what? It's going to be loud in heaven. It says right here that God is rejoicing over you with shouts of joy. He exalts over you with joy. In the New King James Version, it says that He rejoices over you with singing. You know, that's how you, that's how you know a guy loves a girl because he writes a song about her, right? Starts singing about her. God's singing about you in heaven because He loves you. We are His joy. In Hebrews 12.2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy sat before Him endured the cross. He despised the shame, and He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the shame. He endured the cross. That joy that was set before Him was you and I. Everybody in this room was the joy that, that Jesus was looking at when He said, you know what? This is going to hurt. He, he sat in the garden. He was, he was sweating drops of blood. He was so distressed. But every time He thought, you know what? I can't do this. God, you know, Father, I can't do this. There's no way I can go through with this. He looked at the joy set before Him. He looked at you and I. And He decided, you know what? They're worth it. They're worth it. They're valuable. And I'm going to give everything for them. We also need to understand that He cares for us. You know, what, I'm, what we're looking at here is, is understanding being saved by grace. We say, why would God do this for us? Our vision of God is different. Why would God just give this to us? You know, He's up in heaven just waiting for us to mess up. We have to fundamentally change our view of God and recognize that He's a, he's a God that thinks we're valuable. He's a God that cares for us to understand that this is why He gave everything to us. He gave all for us. In 1 Peter 5, 6-7 it says, therefore, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. There it is in black and white. God cares for you. In Matthew 6, 25-26, it also says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? You know, it talks about here, casting your anxiety on Him. You know, sometimes we get anxious. We're worried about... You know, what's going to happen? Am I going to have enough money to pay the bills? Are we going to have enough money to have enough food? What are, we get anxious. And the truth is, anxiety is a distress caused by the fear of loss. We're afraid that we're going to lose something. But the truth is that God cares for us. Therefore, we should have no fear. Like we said, that, that if your Heavenly Father feeds them, are you not much more than they? Is He not going to take care of you when He's taking care of all these other things? That, that He says that He uh, cares for you? 
God cares for you. He's not going to let you fall. He's not going to let you fail. He's not going to let you go without if you'll put your trust in Him. The reason Christians go without is because they become anxious, they become afraid, and they stop looking to God and start looking to how can they fix their problems. The truth is, a, a Christian's confidence rests in the fact that Christ is genuinely concerned for his welfare. Jesus is continually, continually, genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then we find that in Psalm 86.15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. God's abundant kindness is, is abundant. His loving kindness is abundant. It's without end. It, he's not going to run out. He doesn't have just a small amount. And if I give some to John, then I don't have any left over for Monique. But it's abundant. He has plenty. It cannot be exhaust, exhausted. And unlike us as parents with our children, he never gets fed up. He never gets tired. He never you know, just gets frustrated with what's going on and just gives up on us. But he's always there for us. He always cares for us. He never quits. Amen? And we find out that, that there is no greater love for a person that can be shown than the, the love that God showed towards us. In Romans 5, 8 it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ because by grace you have been saved. In John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ laid his, down his life for you. You know, you read through the Bible, and everywhere it talks about God's love for us. We find out that he demonstrated his love by sending his son. And then he finds out that because of his great love which he loved us, not only did he, he send his son to die for us, but He made us alive together with Christ as well. You know, the truth is that we have to recognize that when Christ died for us, we were helpless and we were sinners. Christ didn't wait for you to get better. Christ wasn't waiting for you. Well, if He just picks it up a little bit, if He just, you know, just shows me that He really, really wants it, and He just starts trying a little bit harder, then maybe I'll go ahead and die for Him. But it was why we were at our worst. You know, God knew us at our worst. He knows about everything that we've done. He knows the worst point in our life. And he says, you know what? They're still valuable. I still love them. I'm still going to die for them so that they could be made whole. Giving your life for somebody is not done flippantly either. I've read statistics that you're, <clears throat> you're more likely to give your life for a stranger than for someone that you know and don't necessarily care for. You know they've done something bad. Because if they're a stranger, you don't know anything about them. And you're, you're more likely to, to you know, push them out in front of, that tr out from in front of the train. Not, not in front of the train, out from in front of the train. You're more likely to do something for somebody if you don't know who they are. But if you know who they are, if you, wait a minute, that's the guy that did this. That's the girl that did that one thing. And you're less likely to give your life for him. I want you to know that, that Jesus knew everything about you. He knew the worst things that you ever did. And he still figured that you were worth giving up his life for.
The truth is that, that God loves us, all of us, those who are saved, even those who have not become saved yet. His love for us cannot be comprehended. There's a, a Hasidic story, and Hasidic was a branch of Judaism. But it's a story that tells of a great celebration in heaven after the Israelites are delivered from the Egyptians at the Red Sea, and the Egyptian armies are drowned. It says the angels are cheering and dancing, and everyone in heaven is, is full of joy because the, the Israelites were set free. The, the Red Sea was parted. They marched through, and it came down, and it destroyed the Egyptians, and they were free. God's chosen people had made it free. And everyone in heaven is, is just rejoicing for, their, for their, their freedom, for them making it out. It says, then one of the angels asked the archangel Michael, where is God? Why isn't God here celebrating? And Michael answers, God is not here because he's off by himself weeping. You see, many thousands were drowned today. The truth is that God loves us all. You know, we look at these stories and we're like, yeah, the Israelites made it out. But the truth is God loved the Israelites, or the the Egyptians as well. And he was saddened by, by them not just being obedient in the same way that there there are people that are going to hell not because God sent them there but because they refuse to receive the the free gift and God will weep for them because he loves them every bit as much as he loves us next we need to be born again in John 3 3 it says Jesus answered and said to him truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God You know, this word used here for again, to be born again, the word can also be translated born above, from above. So we must be born from above or born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And, and this is a spiritual birth that he's talking about. See, that was Nicodemus' problem. Is Nicodemus was, that, was the, uh, the, the Jewish leader, the Jewish lawyer, and he's, he couldn't understand it. He's like, born again? Like, how do you, you know, a lot of us would think the same thing. Like, the logistics of that is just not pretty. If you're thinking logic, if you're thinking carnally, if you're thinking from the flesh, but what he's talking about is we need to be born again, as our that old man inside of us torn away, and the new life inside of us to be made brand new. And Second Corinthians five seventeen it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away; behold, new things have come. That's being born again, being made brand new. You know, you can take an old car, you can you can take an old historic car and slap a new coat of paint on it and you can put a you know you can redo the motor and you can put new tires on it but you know if somebody walks up to you with a with a, a 57 Chevy that's just decked out and perfect they're never going to tell you this is a new car cuz it's not it's nice it's been made good it, it looks good on the outside but it's not a new car it's the same car that was that was made in 1956 does anybody else think that's weird that that the year is always like one year ahead on cars. If it was made in 56, it's a 57. You can probably already buy 2015 cars right now and we're still in 2014. Very strange to me. But the truth is that this, this car is not new. It just got a fresh cone of paint. That's kind of what the law did. When you followed the law, you, it was just a fresh cone of paint. Those who were under the law, when they were trying to do the right things, looking at them from the outside, yeah, they're doing everything all right. But they weren't changed on the inside. They weren't brand new. They were just a, an old 57 Chevy with a new coat of paint.
You know, this, this birth here, being born again, it has some implications too because when a baby is born, they're brand new. They have no past. They have no history. When a baby is born, they don't think about the stuff that they did that, you know, 10 years ago that they're so ashamed of because they've, they've done nothing. They have no past. They've done nothing to be ashamed of. They've done nothing in their life to taint their vision of who they are or what the world is. They're, they're brand new. And it was just the way Adam was, Adam was created. Adam was created a grown man without a past. When you're born again, that's what happens to you. Your past is erased. The old man that had the past is dead, but you're given a, a brand new life inside of you with no past, no history. Amen? Romans 5.10 says, For if we were enemies, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. His death reconciles us. His death makes good our debt. But His resurrection is what gives us a new life, gives us the ability to live a godly life. To reconcile is to settle and to bring an agreement or harmony like a, like a bank register. When you put everything and you reconcile it, you make sure that everything is good, you're not missing anything, that all the numbers add up. You know, God made that deposit in our spiritual checkbook that day when He sent His Son because we were in the red big time. But He reconciled it for us. And if that, weren't, if that were enough, though, the law could have fixed us. If just wiping out the debt was enough, then God would just have to forget about our sins, just ignore them if that was enough. But the truth is that He didn't just leave us there, but He made us brand new. He gave us a brand new life because that's the only thing that can allow us to live the life that we should live, to have the old life torn away and, and given us a brand new one, to be born again. And if God was willing to die for you, to show the amount of love that when you were a sinner, how much more so now do you think that, that He will show you love now that you've been justified? If while you were a sinner, He would, still, he would send His Son to die for you, how much more so now that you've been justified? It says that we should be saved by His life. And we're also, you need to understand that we're forgiven and free. In Acts 13, 38-39, it says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you would not be freed through from the law of Moses. You see, forgiveness is great and it's necessary. Forgiveness is necessary for us to, to move forward, to, to make it through. Matter of fact, if, if, you can't, if you don't understand that you're forgiven, all you'll do is think about your sins, your past, and think about, oh, you know, how could, how could someone love me? How can somebody do this? If, if, you, if you don't recognize that you're forgiven, you'll never have that breakthrough that you need. But the truth is that even though forgiveness is great and it's necessary, it's freedom that makes the difference in our lives. And what that means is that we have a, a freedom from sin, not a freedom to sin. You know, being forgiven and, and be given, given a brand new life and being set free from the bondage of sin is, is not a license to sin, knowing that, oh, God forgave me so I can do whatever I want. 
You know, I can go out there and I can steal from somebody because God's going to forgive me. I can murder somebody because God's going to forgive me. You know, those are the big ones. Those are easy, right? But sometimes I think that, oh, well, I can be angry at somebody because God will forgive me. I can be rude to somebody or mean to somebody. But the truth is that being forgiven, and thank God that you're forgiven, and, and if something were to happen and, and, you were to, and you were to stumble, thank God that you can get back up and yes, you are forgiven. But the important thing to remember is that we're free from that sin. We're free from having to feel anger at somebody, from feeling that we have to pay somebody back for what they've did. We're, we're free from that temptation to, to go the easy route. The Bible says that Christ became sin for us. And when He died, sin died to us as well. When something dies, it has no effect over you anymore. The contract is null and void. There's, there's no way for it to, to pull on you. The only way sin can tug on you is if you let it. Instead of standing and saying, no, I am free in the name of Jesus. You have no right to my life anymore. You know, that was the problem that Paul was dealing with in Romans chapter 7. He says, in Romans chapter 7, 15, it says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. You know, as before I was saved, I wanted to do good things, but I was always doing the very things that I hated. Because sin had a hold of me. I wasn't free from sin. It was free to, to rule and reign in my body. But when I accepted Jesus Christ... That tie was broken. It no longer had a right in my body. It no longer had a right to, to twist and pull me like it wanted to. And that's not to say that I, I never had any struggles since then. Because there were times that even though I was free, when God would remind me, when something would begin to tempt me, God would say, no, you're free. I'd, uh, give me a minute, God. I'll just be forgiven afterwards. But the truth is, that we should re remember that we are free, that that sin does not have the hold. The only way sin can have a hold in your life is, is if you turn your back on what God's done. If you, if you say, you know what, God, not right now. But instead, focus on Jesus and what he's done in you. Recognize that you are free from whatever's trying to pull you down because the old man that was addicted to that, the old man that was struggling with that, the old man that, that could have its heart tugged by that is dead and gone. And you were born again with no past, no history. The old man is dead and gone and you are brand new. The power of sin was broken by the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished and complete work. Amen? In Colossians 2, 10 through 12, it says, And in Him you have been made complete. And He is the head over rule and authority. And in Him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith and the working of God who raised Him from the dead. You know, the Bible says that we are complete. In Him, we have been made complete. And completeness is not relying on how you feel. I mean, sometimes you're not going to feel complete. But the truth is, you are in Him. The fact is that people are walking through this life looking for something to complete them. They have a hole in their heart and they don't know what's even causing it. So they, they go and they try to fill it with other things. 
You know, if I can just get this girl to like me, my life is going to be better. I'll finally be complete. Oh, I mean, if I, if I can just get my hands on this bottle of alcohol, that's going to make me feel better. The next newest technology thing, or if I just get this car, or maybe if I, if I just had a better job, then I would, I would finally be happy. I would finally be complete. And you know, the sad thing is, is that there are Christians who walk into this life with these same feelings because they don't realize that they are complete in Him. They don't have a revelation that, that what they were looking for was Him. That's what they needed in their lives. But the truth is, the only way to feel complete, the only way to be complete, is to be born again, to be saved by the grace that He's extended to us. And He begins to speak here about the, that we were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What he's talking about here, the, the circumcision of the flesh is, is when, when Jesus Christ removed the, the old person from us. When he died with Christ, that flesh, the old person, was removed. And a new life was put inside of us. That's the circumcision of the heart that Christ performed inside of us, removing the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. We died with Christ that day. That old man died with Christ that day. And we were buried with Him. And then we were raised in newness of life with Him. That's why we, we do a baptism. It's just a good old-fashioned funeral. Because you're buried with Him when you go under the water. But when you come out of the water, you're raised in newness of life. So we were buried with Him in baptism. And then we were raised up with Him through faith and the working of God. See, the truth is that that according to the law, according to, to all of that, we deserve death. We deserve punishment. And God is a just God. The, the wages of sin is death. And God is a just God. And therefore, those, those wages must be paid. The, the penalty of sin is death. Suffering, punishment, and we deserve that. But through faith, our suffering, our pain the stuff that we deserved, the death that we deserved, happened in Him. He traded places. The, the best way to look at it is He traded places with us. He took our life and it died with Him and He gave us His so that we could be made brand new. And this is done through faith by trusting that He died for us. I forget uh, which country it is, but there's... Uh, uh, one of the missionaries I was talking to said that they were driving down the road. I want to say it's the Philippines, but I could be wrong. But there's these men who walk up and down this road and they have whips much like Christ was whipped with and they just begin to flog themselves on the back. And they're trying to reenact what Christ went through so that they could be made pure, that they, they feel like that they have to do it. And it's, you know, it's, it's a terribly sad thing to hear about because they've totally misunderstood what happened in Christ. They felt like they had to pay the price when the truth is that Christ had already paid the price for them and there was no reason for them to have to do that. By faith, we died with Him. And by faith, we were raised up again with a newness of life. And this, this free gift of a new life is given by grace. It's a gift. And because of this, we are pure and we are perfect. 
And see, this is a hard thing for people to understand is that once you are saved, you've been made pure and perfect because you go, I don't feel perfect. I don't feel pure. If you just knew the stuff I did this morning, you'd know that I'm not perfect. But the truth is that in Christ you are. Sometimes it takes a while for our, our bodies to catch up to what has actually happened inside of us when God made us new. But as far as our spirit's concerned, as far as God looking down at us, you are perfect and you are pure in Christ because when He sees you, He sees Christ who was perfect and pure. And once you get a hold of that, once you recognize that, you'll begin to understand that, hey, my body is going to start coming in line. I'm going to start living who I am. In Titus 2.14 it says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. He sent his son to purify us. In Hebrews 10, 12 through 14, it says, But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. And he sat down because it was finished. The job was done. So he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. He made you pure. And by His one offering, He made you perfect. Jesus Christ was already offered up. He already died and paid the price. And it says that He sat down at the right hand of God because it is finished. Therefore, if He's been offered up and it is finished, you are perfect right now if you are in Christ. And when you have a revelation of that, you'll be surprised as you spend time in the Word and you read stuff like this, you go, wait a minute. Because of what Christ has done in me, I am perfect. And you have a revelation, you begin to understand, I don't have to do the things that I was doing because He's changed me. He's made me something else. He's made me brand new. And I'm perfect in Him. And the next thing you'll know is, is your body begins to follow along. You begin to act like who you are. And then it says here that to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You know that we were bought with a price, and we are Christ's. Our body is not our own, but we belong to him, the one who paid the ultimate price for us. And then the last thing that I, that I love to look at here is it says that for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. We are sanctified because what He has done is for all time. It's our past sins, our, our present sins, and our future sin. Every, every sin in your life was paid for by the death of Jesus Christ, making you perfect and pure and holy. They were all paid for. There's nothing that you have to deal with later. His death was enough. His sacrifice was enough. In Romans 6.23, we find out that this gift that He's given, He sent His Son, was free. It was a free gift. No, no payment expected in return. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Romans 3.21-24 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Pardon me. That didn't work. <laughs> 
But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. How many of you in this room, when you give a gift to somebody, hand the gift over and, and wait patiently for payment? Anybody ever done that? No, because we understand that a gift isn't, you don't expect anything in return. I mean, I don't think anybody ever goes, you know, I'm going to give them a really good gift, so that way, when it's my birthday, they'll give me a really good gift. You know what's easier than that? Just spend the money on yourself and not them. At least then you're guaranteed. A gift is given voluntarily to honor someone, to show favor to somebody as a, a gesture of, a, of assistance or a present, but we don't expect a return. We don't give somebody... What is that? Is that the dog? <laughs> I can handle a big loud ringer, but the buzzing driving me crazy. <laughs> Praise God. Don't worry, you're forgiven. When we were at the, uh, the church in Tucson, whenever somebody's phone would go off in the service, then uh, we'd all just shout out that they had to buy pizza for the whole congregation. I was going to enact that law, but it seems to be my house phone that usually goes off, so we're not doing that here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> praise God. Oh, you know, it's, God gave us a free gift of salvation. He doesn't expect anything in return. And I, I'm always amazed that, that God didn't lower his standards. How many know that, that God could have just said, I'm going to wipe out their sins and not remember them and do it that? He could have just blotted them out left us the way we were and just ignored our sins. But he didn't lower his standards when he sent his son because the penalty had to be paid. The price had to be paid. So he, he sent his son to pay it for us. And I thank God that it's a free gift because there's nothing that we could do to earn it. The truth is, we deserve death. We deserve punishment. And the only way for that debt to go away is, is, is by death. But instead, God gave His Son as a free gift because He loved us so much that we could, have, that we could live eternally with Him. Amen? A couple more slides here. I'll bring it in. Romans 11, 5 through 6, it says, In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And then in Ephesians 2, 8-9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but as the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We find here the words used again. It's the gift of God given freely. You know, it was given to us so that no man could say that it was, it was me who made it. I, I was good enough. You know, every other religion is about how what you can do to make yourself good enough for God. But the truth is that if, if that were the case, when you get to heaven, you go, oh God, I don't need you. I did it on my own. What do I want with you? I'm, I'm good enough myself. 
You know, the truth is that there's, even if we, if we wanted to try, there's nothing that we could do to be good enough to pay for what was owed. But the truth is that God sent His Son as a gift so that no man could boast. It says that if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Grace is, is giving something that we didn't deserve. It's, if it's based on grace, then it, then it can't be based on works because it says, as he explains it here, it, grace is not grace if it's based on works. It's not a gift. It's not, it's not something given to us if we do it because we've earned it, because we've done all the right things. And then we find here it's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. God gave this free gift so that none of us could stand up and say, I did it myself. I don't need you, God. But we, we recognize that, that we need God to make us whole because we can't do it on our own. I mean, could you imagine getting in heaven and, and everybody just being prideful, talking about how good they did, this is why they're here? But so that we can't boast in anything that we've done, it doesn't matter what you've done or how you lived your life because it has nothing to do with what you've done. It has to do everything with what He's done so that no man may boast. And then finally, the last thing we need to understand as we recognize that we're saved by grace, we're people that are saved by grace, that it's, it's based on believing. It's based on trusting God. It's based on faith in Him. In Acts 8, 36 through through 37, it says, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in Acts 16, 30-31, it says, after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. To receive this free gift that God gave to us, that He bestowed freely upon us in His great love and mercy, to receive this free gift of grace, you don't have to be perfect. You know, you don't, many times people think that they have to be, they have to get themselves right with God before they can go to church. Oh, I would go to church, but you know, if I walked in, the place would burn down. You know, they think that they've got to make things right before they show up, but the truth is, without God, you can't make things right. To make things right, to get yourself right with God, it requires one thing. And that's to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe that He died for you. To believe that He paid the penalty for your sins. And finally, to believe that He rose again so that you would have newness of life. You know, salvation is a free gift and it's given freely to us because God loves us so much. He loves us with everything that He had that He would even send His only Son. And He expects nothing in return except for to trust Him. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's go and stand to our feet.